gloomy, mostly Euclidean confines of Castle Gormagon, upon the lofty, wind-blasted heights of the Plateau of Lang, I am Confucius the Ecumenical Volgi, and this is Radio Gormagon. Welcome to Radio Gormagon. This season, we'll be hosting a series of Meet a Minion episodes, where one or two Gormagons sit down with one of our minions for an interview and discussion. To kick off this series, we have none other than Pooter and Mo, aka Mole Ratty, on Twitter. How did, how did you discover the Gormagons? Was it the website or Twitter first? So it was the website. I used to read you guys um, years and years ago. I think Instapundit um, linked you once, and I read some piece. I think it was from Czar, and it just I, it made me laugh. I mean, the whole thing made me laugh. And so I started scrolling through. This was probably in maybe 2005, 2006, somewhere around then. I, I don't know exactly when, but... <laughs> I started reading the website and it just cracked me up. I mean, you guys are smart and you're super, super funny and you have a way of saying things that makes it uh, like ring true, but really makes you laugh. So I've been reading you guys for, for years. And when I, when I met you guys on Twitter, I was like, Oh my, you guys were the first like famous people, which sounds funny, but you the first, the first famous people I met on Twitter and I was like, Oh my God, these guys are so great. I used to read them. So it was great. It was great. That's hysterical to me because you, you've eclipsed us, eclipsed us and Twitter followers. I mean, it's just, it's not, not that you don't, not deserving of them or anything, but it's, it's funny to hear that from somebody who's surpassed us. I literally have no idea why. I mean, I, I don't mean to sound like doofusy about it, but I just (laughs) literally, I, I got on Twitter to just, vent and you know say what i wanted to say and facebook kind of sucked for that because you alienate your friends you know yes i'm very familiar with that (laughs) no way (laughs) 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 so i just got i I mean i remember i just remember kind of being at like 50 followers and being like nobody's listening to me i'm just talking to myself what is going on here and i but at the same time i i just wanted to vent and uh I'm really appreciative that people want to listen, you know, um, I, it's hard because I, I wish I could respond to everybody and it's, it's harder to do that when you have more people talking at you. Um, I try to, but I don't always succeed, but it's, it's great. It's your great. content, your content's real good. I mean, you're obviously a very bright woman and you know, the, the insights you have are, and then the incisiveness is a product of your philosophy and your, and your legal training, obviously, but it's, it's, I, I very much enjoy reading your Twitter feed. I mean, it's, it's oh, hysterical. In a good way. So the banana candles. <laughs> <laughs> not yes. The, the unfortunate food of the seventies is definitely a highlight of all that. So yeah. Tell, you know, we, we all know you're from Wisconsin, or Sconson, as it said, and my son goes to school out there now in, in Milwaukee. Can, mm-hmm. can you tell us a, a little bit about what, what, what are some of the upsides about growing up in Wisconsin? And, you know, and what are the, some of the downsides about growing up in Wisconsin? 
Um, well, I'm a Midwesterner. I mean, through and through, and there's a certain kind of mentality in the Midwest. I mean, obviously, um, it's not true for everybody, and it's not, you know, uh, it's not like there are other places that aren't like this, but um, Midwesterners are kind of very um, stoic, and but at the same time, very kind. And so that's kind of how just very plain, um, plain spoken, straightforward people. And that's kind of how I grew up. I mean, that's how my parents are. Um, and that's what I love about Wisconsin. It's just a very, it is what it is. You know, there's not any pretense to it. It sounds obnoxious. There's not any pretense to it, but it just kind of is full of very decent people. Some not so decent, but mostly decent people who just kind of are who they appear to be. There's not a whole lot of pre pretense to it. Um, that's what I love about it. It's it's a beautiful state. It's very um, hilly and green and um, and foresty and there's lots of lakes and it's um, very charming. Um, but it's just very, for me, it's just home. It just feels like home. And I think it feels like home for people even who have never been there before. And, and I got to tell you, that's true. Having, having gone to Milwaukee and I ended up there first for a, for a conference with one of our partners at, at the Kohler, you know, in Kohler, Wisconsin. And uh, it, it, it did feel, you know, I grew up in DC and, and, and um, went to school in Massachusetts and St. Louis and then ended up, you know, here in upstate New York. And I got to tell you, Wisconsin is a place I could live. It, it feels welcoming. It feels like home. It's a great place to live. Um, did you find it's that there were any, go ahead. Can I just say it's, you, you have, you have that quality to you too, Pewter. It's like uh, <laughs> just a very genuine quality. It's, yeah. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I am who I am, and I'm not going to pretend I'm somebody who I'm not. <laughs> As if you've seen, uh, it's 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 frustrating, I'm sure, to my wife and to my kids. But uh, it's it's. Oh, it's I humbling. love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. So, were were there any downsides? I mean, because I mean, you are, and I, I'm not giving anything away here, but I mean, you are a very successful lawyer in a top firm in the nation. You know, I mean, are are there any downsides to having come from Wisconsin? Gosh, I don't know. I've, I don't know if I've ever thought of that. And it's mostly because I feel very lucky for, you know, where I came from and who I came from. You know, I, I guess I'm a person who adapts to wherever I am. And but no, yeah, I don't want to make you, you know, I'm not looking yeah, no, to no, make no. you badmouth Wisconsin because <laughs> Lord knows, you know, Wisconsin's awesome with, you know, just for the curds and the beer alone and the, and the you know, the fish fries and all that good stuff. But. Well, okay. So there's Herb Cole and he kind of stinks. And there was the whole, <laughs> there, there was the whole Wisconsin DA trying to take down Scott Walker. And that was awful. That was so awful. I'll give you that. And, and uh, what's his name? Sheriff. What's his nuts? Oh yeah. Yeah. The crazy guy. I know exactly. The, the, the guy with the, the cowboy hat. Sheriff Clark is terrible. So yeah. that's a downside to, to Wisconsin. I'm not, and, and, you know, there are areas of Milwaukee that are just, it wasn't like that growing up. There are areas in Milwaukee that are just not great. Jeffrey Dahmer is a very big downside. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, don't you have the guy who looks like Mike Dicta, who just won the gold medal in curling? Isn't you know, is, or is he Minnesotan? I don't know. There are a lot of Winter Olympics heroes <laughs> from Wisconsin, but like a guy like there's an inordinate number of of. Um, Serial killers have come from Wisconsin. 
That is the best lawyer answer I've ever heard in my life. And honestly, that it made me laugh to myself. So it's hysterical. It's, it's perfectly honest and I love it. So here's, here's a question. Yeah, I got, I've got a bunch of questions for you. We'll try and get through them a little more quickly, but what's the one talent or skill that you have that would surprise people? Oh boy. I whistle really well. Like I am a really loud whistler. I can, really? you know, the, the two fingers in the mouth, like whistle. Oh, okay. Wow. So not not melodic whistling. You're not talking like you're, you're going to be one of those people who like whistles a, a jaunty tune and, you know, but you're like the like really loud whistler person. I'm the loud whistler person. I also sneeze very loudly. Like my son is like, mom, you sneeze too loud. Every time I sneeze, I'm very loud. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a talent or a skill. I will accept whistle. The whistling part, because I, you know, my mother also is a very loud whistler, and Lord knows why that that's the case. But she's ridiculously good at it. So you you get points for being a loud whistler. <laughs> Thanks, not for a loud sneezer, huh? <laughs> I take after my father. My father's a loud sneezer too. That's awesome. What do you do for fun or to relax? And berating associates until they cry doesn't account. <laughs> I cook. You know this about me. I, I do. What do you yeah. enjoy? What do you enjoy cooking? Everything. Like I will cook anything. You I just I any kitchen challenge you put in front of me, I will I will take on. Why do you so, think that is? Well, you know this. I, I think you're the same way, Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, what we do as for a living is very. It feels a lot of times very non-productive. It just feels like shuffling papers and arguing feels? things. Yeah. And, and there's not, I mean, you, you probably get a little bit more tangible result. You know, you have a, you have a contract or a deal or something in front of you when you're done. I see dollar Um, signs at the end of my deals. You don't necessarily. Yeah. It's, it's very frustrating to not produce anything tangible. Um, You do produce wins, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. occasionally you produce a, a, an opinion, but it's, it's not your, you know, you're just kind of contributing to it. Yeah. So this this is something that's completely different than what we do. It's different than kind of our jobs and what we're kind of assigned to do and how we how we make a living. It's like physical, you know. It's kind of ta- mm-hmm. uh, ta- uh, if you know tact- tactical. What am I trying to say? You you're, saying, it, you're saying you, know? you have a tangible result at the end yeah. of the day. You have and a tangible I, result. Yeah. It's like and building it's something. Yeah. And, exactly. It, it, and, and, and it's something you can see. And I, I say this to my kids all the time. It's like my, my father-in-law was, is a handyman and he worked at Xerox for years and, and he built stuff and, and he could look at the end of the day and say, I built those five copiers or I made this or I made that or I fixed this house. And we can't drive down the street and say, I worked in that house or I built that or I did that. We can say, well, I helped X, Y, and Z corporation do X, Y, and Z. And, and you're going, and your kids are looking at you like you're crazy because it's so abstract. Yep. And there's, and, and that's, I agree with you, Mo. That's, that's a, a, a good thing. And, and uh, we do Sunday dinners here all the time because I feel the need to put a tangible product on the table and have people enjoy it and get to look at them as they appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. And I like, um, I also like kind of the aspect, the transforma- transformative aspects of it, taking things that are like baking, for example, you take flour and you take sugar and you take eggs and you turn yeah. it into something completely different, you know? 
And that's your philosophy major showing up, isn't it? (laughs) Totally. (laughs) So here's here's another next question. What's your favorite place in the world and cops doesn't count? (laughs) Cops is great. Cops (laughs) is so great. It's uh, it went. I used to hang out in the cops parking lot. You know, when I was in high school, that was like the thing to do and eat burgers, like giant burgers and whatever. And beat me with an antenna. (laughs) Maybe. Cops is great. I highly recommend it. If you're in Wisconsin, you, in Milwaukee, you have to get cops. I forgot the question. What's your favorite place in the world? <laughs> so my favorite place in the world is Italy um, so far. I mean, I guess I haven't been everywhere in the world, but that is my favorite place in the world. We took a trip there with my parents and my brother um, um, when my daughter was, I think, six. And mm-hmm. we went down to where my grandparents uh, were born. And it was just like magic. I mean, that it, Italy, especially Southern Italy, it's just great. It's um, beautiful and people are so warm and, and the food is great. And it was like an, a, another place where I felt like I was home. Um, there's there's no food in the world like the food in Italy, at least as far as I've experienced this far in my life. I mean, the, the, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, Assisi is also one of those places where it's a crazy place that you go to. And even if you're not religious and you end up there and you get into the crypts below the church at the, 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 the cathedral, it's one of those places that really will shake your soul. So, I mean, I love Italy too. So I completely agree with you. It's a wonderful place. I have to add in, I, we have a house in Wisconsin and that has, has kind of now become my almost, I, I would say maybe it is my favorite place in addition to Italy. It's just quiet and peaceful and serene and it's like an escape do you find you like that because it's where you can go and be yourself yeah it's just it's so secluded you know it's so quiet and it's so pretty and it's just you can just kind of be yeah it gives you space yeah yeah that's cool I, i you know and i appreciate that as well so okay another question yep do you own firearms and if so What's your favorite firearm and why? So I just got my first gun a year and a half ago for Christmas. My husband gave me a Kimber, mm-hmm. and I love the thing. So I, I used to shoot, go to the shooting range. My husband owns a couple guns, and I used to go with him, and I'd shoot his guns, and it was fun and everything. And so the answer is yes, but I've never owned a firearm before. I owned this this Kimber um, from a year and a half ago, and I love love the thing it's so pretty <laughs> it just looks so pretty and it's so fun to to go to the shooting range and fire it and it's just a beautiful it's a work of art i mean those as a machine it's a work of art it is it is how about you do you how many guns do you own i don't own handguns oddly i have a concealed carry permit in new york state which is like jumping through 80,000 flaming hoops of fire to get you know <laughs> to get uh, cuz we can't even buy a pistol to have in our house without a permit. New York, you're required to have a permit to even handle a handgun. But I I don't own any handguns because I grew up in D.C. during the 80s, during the crack wars, and and it's just, it's stuck in my psyche somehow. I just don't prefer handguns. I probably have 15 or 16 long guns, which I guess makes me 
you know, one of those crazy gun owners that, that they, they're like to talk about today. And, you know, I have a 30-30, which is a lever action. I have a brake action 20. I have a 12-gauge semi. I have a 22 bolt action. I have a 22 semi rifle. I'm trying to think. I have Arasaka rifles that my grandfather brought home from the war uh, in Japan. It's kind of tough to get ammo now because Japan stopped manufacturing ammunition for it for some reason in 1945. And I'm trying to think what else I got up there. That might be, oh no, I've got a 50 caliber black powder rifle, 177 air rifle. And I think that's about it. I'm more of a long gun guy. So thank I you for asking. <laughs> that's a lot <laughs> well my wife always says what the hell do you need all this guns for and i said well, why not i said you know what do you need you know you know what do you need all the stuff that you have and she just looks at me and shakes her head so <laughs> as i'm sure you do to your husband from time to time so or he does to you more likely <laughs> yeah that's more like it <laughs> so why philosophy i know you studied philosophy but you you know only nerds study philosophy right Yes, this is true. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I started I started as a bio major. I wanted to do I wanted to be um, a doctor. Mm-hmm. So when I started uh, undergrad, I started as a bio major, and I did that for um, a year. I loved. I think I like chemistry better than than bio, and mm-hmm. uh, so I, I kind of excelled in that more than biology. But I just I don't know. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what prompted the change, but I was always kind of a, a thinker and an arguer, and I guess that's kind of where I belonged. I think I just, you know, looking back on it, I'm not sure what the thought process was, but um, I think it's where I belonged. And uh, you know this, you, you yeah. belong there too. I had a journey um, as well. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, and it's, it's odd because I ended up, my mom always was like, you're going to go to law school. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't like lawyers and blah, blah, blah. And all that. Nobody, nobody likes us. (laughs) Between you and me, I don't, still don't like lawyers, but at any rate, um, I, I ended up taking some time off and going to law school. And now here I am back in chemistry and biology for a living as a lawyer. So I kind of feel like I, I came around full circle. Like I have, both parts, the the science part and the philosophy part kind of working for me now. And that's what, that's what I find with patent lawyers is that generally they're science people who end up in law despite themselves. You know, they, they have the skills to do the philosophy and to do the law. But you, you had an interesting journey. I started out as a bio major and then I ended up in English because I had no idea what the hell I was going to do. And then I decided that I hated British literature and I got tired of being told I was wrong because I disagreed with the professor. So I ended, I ended up in philosophy where the philosophers, you know, the philosophy professors would look at you and go, okay, well, why am I wrong? And I'd be like, okay, I can deal with this. You know, it's like, <laughs> I can deal with this. Let's have the argument, you know, rather than no, you're wrong. So, I, you know, it's kind of interesting. And you, you sort of stole my next question because my next question was going to be, what drew you to the law generally? And I said, you know, only nerds go into the law, right? So <laughs> it turns out that you've answered that question. Patent law specifically, you ended up there because of your science or? No, you know, um, it's very, very odd. Again, um, when I started law school, I thought I was going to go, um, 
I really started because I thought I would do, um, this is going to sound really odd, but I thought I would do abortion law. I thought I would, um, like do, pro or anti or yes. Oh <laughs> yeah. Anti. Okay. I'm, I'm very, as you know, I'm very pro, very, very pro life and I yep. uh, have been my whole life. And uh, that was kind of what started it, um, was kind of a discussion with, with a lawyer who did that kind of work. And, you know, I went to law school and you know how expensive law school is. So when mm -hmm. I got done, I was like, I need, I need to pay my bills, you know, and I had waited a while. My <laughs> husband worked, but you know, he was a, he's a social worker. So mm -hmm. it's not like he was rolling in the dough for us to live on. So I kind of fell into patent law, oddly, um, just based on, I, I found a firm that I really, really enjoyed a lot. I like the people I work with. I still do. I love them. Um, and it uh, it fit well for me. And I found a person that I really like to work with. And she worked in patent law and generic drugs, mm -hmm. um, generic drug patent law. And I just liked her and I liked working with her and I liked the work and that's kind of how I, I fell into it as a as a very kind of happenstance sort of situation and I really ended up enjoying it and have kind of made a quite a little corner for myself on it which is great I mean that's wonderful I'm you know I I don't know you at all but I'm actually very proud of you as a philosophy graduate for for finding this niche did you find it important I mean you, you mentioned and this is the first I've heard of it but you mentioned that you, I assume that this person was your mentor but that that you had a female mentor I'm, yeah. and it's not a knock but I'm just saying did you feel that that was important to your development as an attorney I'm not sure because I have had male I have male mentors too in fact mm -hmm. there's one um, person that I've worked with since since I started working with this woman too, mm -hmm. who um, I, I'm still, I'm actually meeting with him tomorrow to, to pr make a presentation. So I think it's very important to have mentors. I don't necessarily think it's important to have any particular kind of mentor, just someone who um, you who, connect with. Yeah. Who you connect with and who can teach you and who is interested in helping you develop your skills. I mean, you know this as well as anyone. I mean, I think we've talked about this on Twitter with um, people like like uh, Mr. X Lomar quite a bit. Is it's a you know it's it's kind of an apprenticeship. You don't learn how to do law in law school. You don't learn how to try cases. Yep. You don't learn how to how to draft contracts or anything like that when you're in law school. And when you get out, you need someone to help you and to train you and to teach you how to how to do it and how to do it right. And it can make a whole, a big difference. If it can make a big difference in how good a lawyer or lawyer you are based on who teaches you. I, so it's very, yeah. very important to have someone who is able and willing to teach you. And the other thing, the, the other dirty little secret is a lot of times there are lawyers who are very selfish and guarded about their kind of way of doing things. And they won't tell you, you know, the best way to do things because it's their, they view it as their proprietary information. So no, no, I, I completely agree with you. And I, I, I don't know if I've told you this story. Let me tell you a little story since I'm asking you. I want to hear it. So okay. I'm probably 15 years into this, into what I do. And I'm probably one of a hundred attorneys maybe in the country that do exactly what I do. And I know you're probably familiar with that. You might be one of a hundred to 500 attorneys in the country that do exactly what you do. And I'm dealing with this guy at New York city who's billing probably 1500 an hour. 
at least. And we're negotiating a contract and, you know, it's a 75 page loan purchase contract where we're buying a portfolio of loans out of an institution that may or may not have been under receivership. And the, the guy won't turn a black line of a contract. He, he, you know, I said, I sent him an email cause he wouldn't, he gave me a PDF of the contract, which I couldn't write over. Right. You know, it was locked and I, and I sent him all my changes and it was like probably a, 17 page email, you know, I said, this is what we need. This is what we need. This is what we need. And I said, could you turn a black line? So he sends me back another PDF with no black line. So I call the guy up and, and I say to the guy, what are you doing? I said, everybody else in the, in the country will turn a black line. I said, I, I know you don't like me. I said, I know you disagree with me. I know we're on the opposite side of the table, but it's just a common freaking lawyer courtesy that you turn a black line of a contract, right? Or you give the guy, you know, you give the person on the other side of the table, the word version. And then, you know, and he was like, oh, no, I'm not turning a black line. And I said, you're a sharp lawyer. And he goes, and I, I you know, I said, you're, this is sharp. I said, this is sharp lawyering. And, and he was like, are you calling me? Are you saying, you know, you're, are you saying I'm, you know, unethical or say, I didn't say that. I just said, you're sharp. And I said, all I'm saying is that any other lawyer in the country that I've worked with, I said, Chicago, Miami. D.C., Los Angeles, St. Louis, Kansas City. I said, I've worked with lawyers in all these cities, and they will turn a black line of a contract back to you. And I said, you're going to make me read through this whole goddamn thing knowing that I'm a one-person legal department? And he goes, yeah. And I hung up on the guy. <laughs> oh, my God. So I hate, hate New York City lawyers. Hate them with a fiery passion. I mean, I, and that's just, that's a lawyer story for you that for everybody who's going to listen to this, however many they are, but that's just why some lawyers actually hate other lawyers and with good reason. Not that yeah. You know it. Yeah. No, it's, I know. I, I'm completely with you. And I mean, so you, again, I think you and I are the same on this. It's like, um, I like good lawyers and I like lawyers who are straightforward and who don't play games about like trying to win by being sneaky and sandbagging and, you know, yeah. kind of being jerks. I, it just doesn't, there's no fun in that for starters. And it's not really um, a great way for a legal system to work, you know? No, I, I mean, there, I there, mean need, there needs to be give and take and it needs to be, you win on the merits of your case, not on sneakiness. Well, the, yeah, the whole purpose of the adversarial system is to get at the truth, Right. And the and the way you the the way it works is if both sides are engaging in good faith and not playing games and it the game playing <clears throat> takes up way too much time and it takes up way too much energy and it often leads to obfuscation of the truth. So um, that is one of the downsides to um, to the system and it's very frustrating and you know there are way too many lawyers who operate that way. Yeah, um, and it, 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 yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree. There's way too many people who don't want the truth out, and there's way too many judges, honestly. And you know, you have more experience with judges than I because I'm not a litigator. Um, but it seems to me that there's a whole lot of judges who could clear a lot of his or her calendar by simply saying, "Okay, you know, let's have a motion for summary judgment hearing tomorrow," you know, and just clear clear the calendar. And you know, yeah. oh, why well, I don't like I don't like your decision. Fine, that's what appellate courts are for. Go up you know, let's just, let's just have the argument. You know, if it, everything's in front of you, 
either issue a decision on on you know on the briefs or just be done with it and you know you know or you know, it, it just frustrates me and that's as, especially in my field as opposed to your field where you're dealing with contract law you know and i'm yelling at my attorneys all the time and they're going well the judges want it and i, I don't give a good gosh darn what the judges want make them make a decision you know yeah. put it put it put it in front of them and make them decide and and i don't care if they decide against me or for me I just want them to decide so then I can figure out what I need to do as a business person. So anyway. Well, yeah, you, you are exactly right. I mean, that's another big, huge problem with the legal system. There are, like, it's, it, there are two related kind of aspects to that. One is um, there are judges who won't make decisions. And the other is that there are judges who um, are um, afraid, <laughs> afraid yeah. of getting reversed. You know what I mean? And, yes. And so – like there's this really weird perverse incentive to what it does is it creates uncertainty. And for a business guy, for a business lawyer like you, it makes it very hard to to make business decisions when you can't you have no certainty. You know, all these like multi-factor tests and, and mm -hmm. like, you know, changing rules in the middle of the game and like, you know, outcome oriented decisions make yeah. it very hard to do a to, to make good business decisions in advance and be confident that legally you're correct and for a business lawyer like you that's got to be just incredibly frustrating it's, because you, yeah. do, you do everything by the numbers and it still ends up not right because because of all these other factors because and then i'm the, answering to my board I have yeah. to go sit in, uh, sit in on yeah. the board, you know, the board meetings because I'm the recording secretary for the board. But it's one of those things where I have to explain to them, this is why this went sideways, and I've got one you of those in why, California yeah, you right now. Why, you wonder why lawyers say it depends. That's why lawyers say it depends. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, if, I mean, if you were a judge and I were a judge, we would issue decisions quickly because we understand that that being rapid, at least on the on the civil side, is important because you need finality. And businesses need finality and, and borrowers or, or, you know, customers or consumers need finality. And they need it quickly because if you're dragging everything out three years, it's not justice. Yep. Totally so anyway, right. I'm preaching yep. choir here. So We'll get right back to the Meet a Minion episode. But first, a word from one of our sponsors. Blazing Balls of Fury. Do you need that little snack in the middle of the afternoon? Are your feet dragging as you post 237 GIFs on Twitter? Do you need a spicy kick in your belly to tie you over until a happy hour? Have we got the treat for you. Blazing Balls of Fury, a specialty on the Plateau of Lang. These tasty morsels are just the right amount of fury to stem your afternoon ennui and a big enough kick to propel you until you can toss down a few at happy hour. Blazing Balls of Fury, pewter endorsed, so remember, Next time you're shuffling down the aisle of your local grocery store, look for the gray box with the Manicore album. Blazing Balls of Fury. Now, let's get back to the program. What's your favorite movie and why? My favorite movie is, well, there are two. I love Dr. Strangelove, and I'm going to give a shout-out to Ian McKelvey because he and I uh, always <laughs> do the Dr. Strangelove thing. I've loved that since I was in high school. You know, I thought it was profound. 
when I was in media yeah. class in high school. And um, so I, I still love it. And there are moments which just, just that still just crack me up. Um, it's, it's a great movie. Yeah, it really is. There are just so many funny lines in there. And just so, and Peter Sellers is just, I mean, my favorite. I love him so much. And he plays three parts in that movie and he does all three of them so well. And it's great. Um, and what? then I can say my second favorite has always been, this is going to sound so cliche. My second favorite has always been Citizen Kane, <laughs> which sounds so <laughs> dorky. Because I, I have no comment. I, I'm not a, like a movie buff by any stretch. I don't, I can't remember the last time I saw a movie in the theater. Maybe it was like one of the Star Wars movies or something like that. I haven't seen movies in forever. I never watch movies. Everybody asks me about like this or that movie. And I'm like, I've never seen that. But for some reason, um, and again, I think this kind of goes back to, to high school and watching it in my media class. It was, there, there were just moments in that movie that, that were very kind of profound on me, you know, as yep. a young kind of philosophy oriented person, you know, when he is like there, I think, uh, I forget his name, the, one of the guys says, it's easy to make money if that's all you want to do. And I mean, it was kind of one of those, that's exactly right. It's easy to make money if that's all you want to do. It's hard to make money when you're, you know, when you want to do more and when you want to be right and good and, and do the right thing. So it it just, it was one of those things that stuck with me my whole life. And um, it was kind of how I was raised too. you know, it's a constant reckoning, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it really is. It's, you know, and, and we are both blessed and fortunate enough, I assume, that, you know, we're making good livings and we, we go, is what I do really worth, you know, the value I'm giving back to society? Yeah. At least at least that's an argument I have with myself at night sometimes, you know. Yeah, me too. And, and you know, I mean, I it's, it's hard because it will just kind of goes back to that lack of tangible kind of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I... I feel like I do good because I'm what I'm trying to do is help bring cheaper drugs to the market. And I think that's good for people. And, you know, I mean, in the abstract, that makes me feel like I'm doing a good, a good thing, Mm -hmm. you know? No, it's a, it's a good and valuable thing, but it's, it's a tough conversation to have with you after a couple beers at at (laughs) at 11 o'clock at night as you're sitting there wondering why you got to get up and hop a flight to Los Angeles tomorrow morning. Yeah, well, that and, you know, I mean, and a lot of times it just doesn't doesn't turn out the way you want it to. It's very frustrating. And so it's it's um, I'm, I'm completely with you. This is why I do other things. This is why I do things yeah. that are, are different. You know, I um, and I, are, I know and you don't have to get into it now, but I know you do a lot of charitable work, too. That's that's I, I'm sure is important to you. It's completely, it's, it's just like cooking and baking. It's like a completely different thing. It's just a completely different thing. And it, it, it's refreshing. It's a new, it's a different thing. It renews you so that you can go on and do what you want to do. Well, what you have to do or what you've chosen to do during, during your work, work life. So, so next question, I'm going to skip ahead here because I don't want to get too maudlin through this whole thing, but (laughs) tell us about your unholy lust for butter. Was it the result of some unresolved childhood trauma? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I, I do not know the answer. <laughs> All I know is since I was a little kid, I mean, I would 
lick the butter off of, of <laughs> knives, <laughs> just lick it off my toast. You mean you it still is, don't? I do. Because <laughs> I was going to judge you if you still didn't. <laughs> it's a uh, who doesn't love butter? Come on, Peter. Who doesn't love butter? That is a it's absolutely like... fair question, and so I I also have an unholy love for butter. I will admit it. <laughs> Do you play an instrument, and which one? So yeah, I grew. Well, it's been a while since I played it, but I grew up playing the piano. So I started when I was five with Sister Mary, and the only reason why I went, Peter, was because she would give me a hard candy at the end of the lesson. <laughs> I appreciate your candor. Were you any good at it? <laughs> um, yeah, I ended up being pretty good. I I did. Uh, I used to do competitions. I don't know. I don't know how I ended up being pretty good. My hands are not that big. You know, they're <laughs> kind of small. Yeah, you, it's a big deal if you have small hands when you're playing. When you're a pianist, it's very hard to to play well. But um, my hands you are kind of small. You need to cover the octaves, right? Yeah, at least, and I could barely cover the octaves. And some songs require like nine keys at least. Yeah. So. Um, but, um, I did, you know, competitions and things like that. So throughout my junior high and high school career, I would go do, um, like, you know, state competitions in piano. That's awesome. That's impressive, yeah, I mean, actually. It, it, I mean, it was not like I, you know, at some point I was like, maybe I'll be a concert pianist and I do not have the hands to be a concert <laughs> pianist, but it was like one of those things that was just a really great release for me. It was, um, you know, because I'm, you I'm produced a, something. Yeah. Again, you produce something and I'm, I'm a high, high stress person. Like I'm yeah. kind of a high anxiety person. And yeah. Helps calm me down. <laughs> oh, <Anyway>. really? <laughs> I'm familiar with that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I, if it's any consolation, I was a Catholic school kid and had to wear a uniform and I played the flute because my mother made me play the flute. And we used to have to catch, we used to have to catch the bus at the same bus stop as the public school kids. So my life, yeah, my life was not very good. You're like the anchor man. Exactly. You play some jazz flute. Well, I wasn't that good because I hated it so much. I refused to do it. I might have been good, but I was not. I, I, it was not. I wanted to play trumpet, but my mother would not let me. So, I hope Aww. my mom's not listening to this podcast. So, but but you sing, Peter, right? You sing I, very well, right? I do. I haven't sung in a while. I mean, I've been told I sing well. I sing with the Oratorio Society. I used to sing with the Oratorio Society up here. I've sung with the Philharmonic Orchestra up here. I've sung a bunch of classical pieces. Carmina Burana, Mozart's Requiem, you know, Brahms Requiem. I mean, I've sung all these wonderful pieces as part of a chorus. And it's, 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 it's a real, and again, it, we keep coming back to this. It's, it's something tangible or, or that you've done to make the world a little bit better, even for a moment that you can see. And you yeah. can see the result of it. And it's it's very important for people like us who do these jobs that are really esoteric, but they're very important jobs, but they're esoteric. You don't, you don't build a house. You don't have, you know, you're not building a roadway. You're not doing these jobs that the, the, you know, you're not a plumber. You're not taking sewage out of people's houses, which are wonderful and important jobs. Um, but we don't, we don't see that sort of, reward yeah. so it's it's that's why i love that so anyway you know ahead. i have to i have to interject here that and i'm, I'm going to give a shout out to schultze because yep. i love the guy yep. and i love his wife and i love his baby girl 
uh, Muffin Bear. Muffin Bear. Um, and Schultz, Schultz, he's a great singer too. I mean, have he's, you seen his some of his videos he's posted? Or, yeah, um, he's a brilliant singer, I, a brilliant yeah. singer. And I've actually met Schultz and oh. Mrs. Schultz and Muffin and Bear. Muffin Bear, I am so jealous. I know. She is. She. I'm a hard-hearted guy. My wife will tell you that, and my kids will tell you that. But Muffin Bear melted my heart instantly, and it, I. I have no explanation for it other than I had like tears of joy in my eye. It was just a wonderful experience having met her because she was so alive and so wonderful and so genuine and in the moment. And there's nothing like it. It was, it was a phenomenal experience for me. So I don't know. I I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think there's anybody on Twitter who's, who's more um, joy bringing than muffin bear. I mean, just, you know, universally beloved and, you know, she really does. She touches everyone. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It, it, it really is. And if you, if you get the chance, if you're ever in DC and you can meet up with them, you should. Um, and I know you get there occasionally, but if you, if you can and you have the time, you really ought because it's, it's a, a phenomenal experience. Yeah. Um, so is your Twitter persona really who you are or is it a put on like eminence front? <laughs> No, it is definitely who I am. I um, I, I have never, uh, never intended to be anybody but who I am. Um, I'm yep. not a pretender type, and I I like people who are not like that. You know, that's uh, that's who I favor is people who don't put on airs and don't have pretenses about who they are. Um, straightforward people. So, I yeah, I basically just blur blurt out whatever's in my brain <laughs> at the time. <laughs> And it's pretty much who I am. I mean, that's, yeah, that's good, and that's and that's the impression that I think you generally give on Twitter, if it's any help. Um, so speaking of Eminence Front, I get why you like the Who, but why Zeppelin? Oh God, are we going to have a Zeppelin conversation? <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you because it it brings every time we have this conversation, it brings flashbacks to my high school days when Dave and John. These two guys that I was really great friends with had like a two-hour-long argument about whether Jethro Tull or Led Zeppelin was the greatest band. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm thinking jazz flute. And now I'm thinking Peter's playing the flute. (laughs) Okay, enough about Led Zeppelin. Then we'll move on to my next question then. Have you you had to overcome any obstacles in your life? And and how did... If you did, how did doing so affect you? Well, yeah, I mean, I, nothing, nothing like what some people do. Okay, yeah. so um, I am very, very lucky, and I feel very fortunate that, I mean, there are people who have obstacles galore, and they overcome them, and I am just amazed at these people. And I know many of them on Twitter, and and they just, yeah, I mean, I, I think of people like Kayla Fix and mm-hmm. Rogue. And and Alex uh, Viram Volnero one, she, both yep. of them like overcame massive. And um, Anne Alexander, another one, just massive kind of obstacles in their life, and they have overcome them, and they're amazing people. So I I can't even nothing I have gone through compares to that. And the, the, um, the best part about those people is they don't think they've overcome anything. No, they're just um, beautiful, normal people who are just, in my mind, amazing. Just yeah, amazing. that you'd never know that they've done all these 
crazy. They'd have to, to overcome all these crazy things. And I agree yeah. with you on that 100%. And I know you're not belittling anybody by whatever answer you're going to give. But yeah, I mean, so, you know, I've had heartbreaks, I've had, diff- you know, small difficulties. Um, but I, I can't say that I've been anything but fortunate. And I mean, I think the only thing that I would say about that is <clears throat> the luckiest thing I had is parents who taught yeah. me at a very young age, to be responsible and to take responsibility and to not let um, obstacles kind of not let that rule who, who I am and what I do in response, you know, to accept when I can't, can't do something when an obstacle is in my way and to not, um, not let that get in my way if it, if it doesn't have to. No, that's, that's, you know, that's a good deal. And I, you know, that's exactly right. So who, who is your favorite Supreme court justice and why? Um, so I love Scalia as as all good conservatives. Current <laughs> Supreme Court justices. <laughs> Current. Okay. Current. So and and so Gorsuch so far is is really good. I've always loved Thomas, and here's why I love Thomas because because he went to my college. Yes, that that <laughs> is definitely like number one, <laughs> and, and number two is the guy is completely. So, so the Commerce Clause is one of these bugaboos of mine. Um, I have many of these things. I'm sorry, I'm laughing to of, myself. I apologize. I know that's okay. Uh, you, you are the same way as me. I have m- many of these kind of oddball legal things that people think make me crazy. Right? You're and not crazy think, on the Commerce Clause. Well, yeah, the Commerce Clause is one of them. Uh, separation of powers is another. I'll answer your question. Thomas is the only one who wants to like radically scale back the Commerce Clause, and I love him for that. I mean, I love him that he is not afraid to write a dissent that everyone thinks is nuts. Just it's nuts. not nuts. Wickard versus Filburn is nuts. I know. I am totally with you, and I'm. Um, that's why I love him because the man does not. He has been tarnished beyond. I like still to this day people talk about him like i i can't believe it i just can't believe how mean they are to him do you think if he were if he were a democrat if he were a liberal black man do you think they would treat him like that no of course not do you of course not no absolutely not (laughs) they just don't like what he's deciding and they you know they treat him like a you know and they've called him literally have called him an uncle tom i mean which is horrible that's the one thing about, um, and I've talked about this on Twitter a lot, is women and mo- minorities who are conservative get treated like the biggest, and, and gays get treated like yeah. the biggest pieces of garbage on the planet. <laughs> you know, like as if how, and it's because, it's, I think it's because we, they can't throw us in a box with yeah. old white males, old white males, you know, yeah. that garbage. They can't throw us in that box. And so they, they try to, they, they really, really, some are very, very cruel about it. Very cruel. And some of the most sexist comments I've gotten have been from uh, leftists who yeah. don't like that I don't toe, toe the line. So it intrigues me because you know conservatives we have a, we have our own whole set of flaws and yes we are predominantly white and male predominantly i've always said this and it's a i don't care what color your skin is or what genitalia you have it's it's about what your ideas are and what you believe and i think conservatives are more like that you know liberals tend to want to pigeonhole you into an identity group it's like oh mo you're a woman you have to be you know you have to be pro abortion and you have to be this and you have to be that and we're like 
what do you think? And then if we don't yeah. like what you think, we're like, get the hell out. <laughs> you know, <but> it's, <laughs> well, it's very rarely personal. I mean, this is one of the things that I kind of go off on too. It's very rarely personal. I mean, people take it personally when you disagree with them and mm -hmm. it, it's silly. That's absolutely silly to me. I mean, it, it, I understand the kind of the emotional reaction to it, but, and again, maybe this is just being a lawyer and getting used to people disagreeing with you, but yeah. it's irrational. And, and to a certain extent, I can, I, I get it, but it's, we should fight those instincts to, to get personal and to like, feel like you're, someone's getting personal when they're making a, you know, when they're debating you on the merits. So let's move on to the lightning round here. We've got a quick, quick lightning round here. And you've already kind of answered this one, but Scalia or Thomas? That's like choosing my favorite child. <laughs> I can't answer that. <laughs> we know you have one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll we'll give you a pass on that one. We'll move on from Scalier Tufts. Farver Rogers. Rogers. Okay, just is it because he's cute? Actually, well, yeah, because he didn't. As far as I know, his text is just junk to somebody. <laughs> 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 I I might. I may t he's a better quarterback, but I, I might like I I hesitate because Favre was like my first your my first, first love. Yeah, well, sort of my first love. I mean, I loved Lynn Dickey too, but <laughs> Lynn Dickey sucks. You're not old enough for Bart Starr. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. Well, no, that's true. I, I'm not old enough for Bart Starr. He not was quite. the coach. Exactly. He was the coach. Yeah. Okay. Salted or unsalted butter? Oh, salted. Okay. Luke or Han? Han. There you go. Connery, Brosnan, or Craig? Connery. Curds or tots? Yeah, which one? Oh, you which do you prefer? Tots. Curds or tots? Tater tots, yeah. really? Well, hmm. yes, I love tater tots. I'm a little surprised. I love tots as well, but I'm not a scone, so. So, okay, next question. Why have you never apologized to Pewter for one, setting him adrift on an ice floe in Lake Michigan when we were toddlers? And two, beating him silly with his own car's antenna in the movie theater parking lot and standing him up for a date back in high school. Well, I did apologize for one, at least one time. <laughs> and I recall at least one time apologizing for the first one. <laughs> I'm I have sorry. to tell you that um, you, you write very many funny things. And like I, I, as we said at the beginning, I, I – read you guys long long before i knew you and you mm -hmm. always cracked me up um and so you've written many funny things <laughs> but the ballad of pewter and mo will always and forever be my favorite thing that you've ever written because it was about us <laughs> it was it was about us and we've never met which is the funniest part of the whole thing I know. Yeah. we are sort of like evil twins though i mean there's there's some some aspect to that that's it's like really karmic that we've sort of run in each other on Twitter because there's a lot of similarities between us, <laughs> which makes me wonder because my father was adopted. <laughs> so I'm just saying is all. So who is the best Castle Gormagon dwelling minion? Sleestack or Dat Ho? Oh, it's got to be Dat Ho. It's got to be Dat Ho. All right, fair. What's the best place in Tosa or its vicinity to get a post-last call cheap yet filling drunken meal? National chain restaurants don't count. National chain restaurants don't count, but it, but local but chain restaurants. You can give me George, a local chain. George Webb. George Webb. Okay, tell me about George Webb. George Webb is like a, a hole-in-the-wall diner. 
Um, I'm not sure how many there are left, but, and it's, I mean, it's a hole in the wall. I mean, it's a di- like a dive diner. But I like dive brown. diners. <laughs> I know you, this is, this is right up your alley, Peter. Next time you're there with laptop, you can, you have to find a George Webb. Oh, and you have to go to real chili right by, have you gone to real chili? He's yet? been there. I haven't. He's in London this semester. So that's another whole discussion. Oh, okay. Well, the next time he's back, you yep. got to go to Real Chili because it's not just for breakfast anymore. No, it's that's neither is beer, but that's another discussion. <laughs> so George so, Webb um, has great hash browns, and okay. Real Chili is just phenomenal. It's that is a that is a blow a dive chili <laughs> restaurant that is just the best. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Defend your choice. <clears throat> Mint chocolate chip. Oh God! You're and so, I don't think it you're needs so bougie. <laughs> <laughs> it needs no defense. It's okay. chocolate chip. Okay, I'll give you that. You know, and I'm my favorite is van- vanilla. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Peter, I know it's yeah. it's really depressing. If they made a Mo biopic, whom should they cast to play the role of Mo? We have some suggestions from the from the peanut gallery. Doc suggested Emily Blunt, Yvonne Strahovski, Alison Brie, or alt-cinema darling, Parker Posey. Volgi suggests Anne Hathaway, Alexis, B- I, I was going to get this wrong, Bladel, Olivia Wilde, Amanda Seyfried, maybe Millet Jovovich or Emma Stone, and I, I'm leaning towards Lena Dunham or Maggie Smith, but older. Oh, dude. <laughs> so um, whom would you pick? Well, it would probably be between Emma Stone and Aunt Allison Brie because they kind of have Emma Stone's attitude, right? You kind of do. I'll give you that one. That's fair. Does it make you feel bad to be much older than Pewter or merely hopeless and forlorn? Narrator <laughs> says that Mo is only three months older than Pewter. <laughs> <laughs> His, you can't see my middle finger sticking up at you. <laughs> All right, I'm then we'll just move on from the next question. <laughs> State Moe's universal theory of sandwichness in one sentence. It has to be a filling between two slices of bread. Okay. Because that's what sandwich means. You that, sandwich stuff. You sandwich something. I, I didn't want the entire the, the entire breakdown of it. <laughs> the, you you answered my question as asked, counselor. Okay. Well done. Okay. I give you that. I one. offered that's, an explanation too. No, which I, I will like. give you the. So now now I will yield the floor for your explanation if you'd like. When you sandwich something, you sandwich it between two things, right? Not between one thing. This is why a hot dog is not a sandwich. It's one thing. The bun is one thing. It should be connected. It Mm -hmm. is connected. It's one thing. Okay. That makes sense to me, actually. I'm not sure I completely agree with it, but I'll need to think on that. But uh, that's a good theory. (laughs) Do you agree with Mandarin that gormagon sexiness is inversely proportional to the amount of hair on the gormagon's head? Um. Since you've never met any of us, this makes it an even better question. Well, you know, you know, I have a huge crush on Czar, and he has well, a lot of hair. He does have the best hair. I, I got to admit, he has the best hair. He's got, he's got. If you if you took Chicago ness and distilled it down to the essence of Chicago ness, you would have to distill it four more times to get to Czar. He, <laughs> he is the most Chicago thing I've ever seen in my life. And that's hilarious. And I, but I don't have a crush on him because of his hair. I cr- have a crush on him because he's just cruel. Well, he is that. He's cruel and bloody. 
<laughs> he, he is. He, he, and he has, he has, he has an ax. I'll give you that. Doc asked me to ask you this question. If you were on a desert island, what two vasoactive drugs would you bring in order to run a code? <laughs> pass. Screw you, you can doc. say pass. You can say pass. pass. The screw you, Doc is also a good answer. <laughs> I don't like any of these other questions, so I'm not going to ask you. And it's, I've okay. run long, and I've taken way too much of your time. So, but here's here's a question. We'll finish up, and I'll say thank you very much for coming on tonight. And we'll cut here. I'm Sheriff. What's his nuts? Thank you.